Hello and welcome to Such Sights to See, the podcast about journeying through cinema without my co-host, Eric, the Aaron Burr to my Alexander Hamilton, the traitor to Such Sights to See. Eric's a jerk and I don't want to talk about it right now. All I'm going to say is that he will never, ever be loud on this podcast again. Mark my words, he will never return. And what a way to celebrate his absence by talking about probably one of the best weeks of movie watching that I've had in a while. I've seen, let's see here, about nine movies since last episode. And one, two, three, four of them are four and a half stars, and two of them are five stars. Incredible. Incredible run. So I'm just going to start at the beginning before we get into the main topic Uh, The first movie I watched was Mind Game. Mind Game is an anime directed by Masaki Yuasa, and it is a feature film-length animated story of a man who is in love with this girl throughout high school and his adult life, and then he gets killed and goes into the afterlife and escapes and madcap adventures ensue, but it's very philosophical and full of incredible, incredible animation, full of energy and imagination and heart. Uh, It's a really mind-blowing experience. I don't quite know what to make of it, really. I I love the experience of watching it, and I'm looking forward to watching it again. It's that type of movie. Um, If you're at all interested in animation, or imagination, or just film in general, definitely check out Mind Game, Masaki Iwasa 2004. That was one of the four and a half star movies. I followed that up, you know, it's Christmas season, so I wanted to kick off, um, after Thanksgiving, kick off Christmas film season with a classic from 1974, directed by John Waters, Female Trouble. This is John Waters' second, well, not his second feature film, but it's his feature film after Pink Flamingos, and it's a story of a Dawn Davenport, a young girl, of course, played by Divine, who you know grows up to be a criminal and a and a beauty star, and all sorts of uh, crazy things happen in her life and the movie's like 20 genres mixed into one all of the stuff that John Waters loves you got the kitschy high school stuff you got the uh, sort of um, like a Russ Meyer female empowerment type story and you have uh, you know uh, women doing crimes and it's full of uh, the, you know his tribe of character actors that are in all his movies but this probably one of my favorites of his it's definitely pure john waters and less shock value i think it's more of what he's good at which is making these people that are on the outskirts of society entertaining to watch but also less exploitative in a way but more exploitative in a way than pink flamingos it's a really fine line to walk and he does it almost by accident i think i don't think he knew exactly that it was going to happen this way i think he was trying to make a sort of a genre bending exploitation movie and it kind of that works but there's also like a through line of 
don't know. That's like the... Hmm. How do I put this? The celebration of the outsider, let's say. And uh, yeah, no one does it better than John Waters, and this is a great example. So check that out. Female Trouble, 1974. That was a four and a half star movie. Um, after that, I watched Knives Out and Avatar, two five-star movies. I know that's controversial to a lot of people uh, at the Avatar part, um, but I think Avatar is a incredible, incredible achievement of just world-building and technical direction. None of that existed before this movie was made, and then suddenly you have this new world, Everything in this world is completely made up. Actors are real people, but also you know giant blue people. It's it's incredible that this was made and is coherent and is actually exhilarating to watch. And uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Avatar. Looking forward to the second one. Knives Out, one of my favorite movies of recent years. It's just pure entertainment for me. Ryan Johnson, such a great writer, and he really knows his genre this being the locked room murder mystery story and he takes his knowledge of that and the audience expectation and kind of turns it on its head so you're not watching a mystery and figuring out how to solve it you're watching a movie about where you kind of know the ending and you want to you're on the side of the person who's trying to get away with what happened and the way he accomplishes that is just incredible in the writing and the direction and just a stacked cast. Really love Knives Out. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, I did that in preparation to watch Glass Onion, the second Knives Out movie, which I call in the theater. Glass Onion, it would be really hard to top Knives Out, but it does an admirable job. I really enjoyed it. It's not quite the five stars that Knives Out was, another four and a half stars, but... Again, it's a puzzle box of a movie that really um, plays with your expectations and has a lot of fun with it. This one's definitely lighter. It lacks the heart, I think, of Knives Out, but has a lot of humor and a lot of like moments where you are excited when the turn of the plot turns. You see things happen and then you know the plot develops and you kind of recontextualizes everything and you know it movies try to do that a lot but this one does it really well it is also very timely um with its subject matter ed norton as the elon musk character is just so so funny it's it's a lot of fun i really am looking forward to watching it again not quite perfect it's a little I think it's a little too light, maybe a little too too many like cameos. I, w- I would hesitate to say stunt casting, but there's definitely some moments where you're like, oh, wow, that was a choice to use that actor in this bit role. And it kind of takes you out of the movie a little bit. But besides that, uh, just a great, solid, smart script. Uh, I saw the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Not much to say about that. Besides, it is not one of the good movies I saw this week. Very standard, very low effort, not much there. But if you have 45 minutes and want to see those characters again, I guess go for it. Next movie I watched was one called Short Stay. 2016, directed by Ted Fent. 
Ted Fench was a name that I had sort of on my radar for a long time. Uh, a mumblecore director who is known for making really good shorts. And this is a 60-minute movie, so I guess it's feature length. And it is about a uh, sort of a loser-ish guy who lives in South Jersey and has an opportunity to kind of get out of the house, his um, home life, you know, away from his mom who he lives with and, and go uh, have a little job in Philadelphia and, you know, stay in someone's apartment and kind of just get away from his normal life. What's interesting about this is this 20-something guy is doesn't really have a bad life. Uh, he has a bad life, but it all seems to be by choice. His, seems like he has friends. Seems like he has, you know, a supportive uh, parent with, you know, a house to live in. There's no real um, strife that he's dealing with. It just seems to be just like his own uh, lack of inertia that is causing him to have this sad life that even with this new opportunity he can't seem to escape, and it is well crafted well acted for this in this mumblecore style it's just a very smart and slight movie i really recommend it short stay 2016 ted fent that was a three and a half stars okay i think it's time to go into the main topic as you know on this podcast i alone not with a co-host i'll never ever have a co-host again i watch a movie that was randomly chosen and then watch a movie inspired by that film last episode we i mean i randomly chose rolling thunder from 1977 rolling thunder is directed by john flynn and it's notable for being the movie that Tarantino named his production company after. It's one of his favorites. It stars William Devane and Tommy Lee Jones. And it is the story of a Vietnam veteran, uh, played by William Devane, who returns home after being imprisoned in a POW camp during Vietnam for about seven years. And he is sort of trying to reclaim his life, but something was lost in him. Something was beaten out and removed from his being it during his time in that camp he was tortured it doesn't really go into detail as to exactly what they did to him there are definitely some descriptions but you know it, it leaves a lot to the imagination and he comes home definitely su- suffering from some form of PTSD that leaves him like a hollow shell and his wife has found uh, another lover and wants to get married to this new person. Uh, William Devane is having um, trouble relating to his son, who he left, you know, when the kid was just a toddler, and now the kid's like ten years old. And you know, he's like this celebrity in this small town, and all this is very interesting. It's written by Paul Schrader. Forgot to mention that. This is very important because Paul Schrader is a very interesting writer, very pessimistic writer, I'm learning. And he really shows a, 
I don't know, like a grasp of uh, interesting w- ways to to examine a char- character like this. What happened to them and how they're responding to the stimuli of the new world. I don't know if this is accurate to PTSD. I am not an expert at all. But if it's a very interesting take and a very interesting character. William Devane plays him so well. I didn't even talk about the impetus for what kicks off the story. Um, at some point, the town gives him a set of silver dollars, one for every day that he was imprisoned in the POW camp, and it's you know, a couple thousand dollars worth. Anyway, that's on TV in this weird ceremony. And then some criminals come into his house demanding to see where these find where these silver dollars are hidden and of course he will not tell them he because he has no no emotions left nothing they try to torture him they try to beat him and he is just stone cold silent they actually take his hand and shove it into a garbage disposal and he still doesn't tell them but his son and his wife come home and of course his son tells him tells the criminals where the silver dollars are because he doesn't want them to hurt his father so they take the silver dollars and they promptly kill William Devane's wife and son and then shoot him leaving him for dead and leave and that's where this movie turns into a sort of revenge flick William Devane uh, did not die he is rehabilitated in a hospital given a hook for a hand and Tells the cop he do, cops he does not remember anything, but he does remember it all, and he will get his revenge. He tracks the the second half of the movie is just him tracking down these criminals, and enlisting the help of Linda Haynes, this uh, woman who has kind of become obsessed with him. She was uh, sort of kind of like a groupie. She describes herself <laughs> of this minor celebrity, and she. Is a na- has a knack for picking the wrong men in her life, and uh, yeah, she kind of does it again, because he is definitely has no room in his life for an emotional connection with her, but he does have room to use her to help get his revenge, which he does. I mean, the mil- movie builds up to a climax where he, him, and Tommy Lee Jones, who plays his someone else that was in the POW camp with him. Um, uh, a lower-ranking officer uh, that really looks up to William Devane and is also having trouble uh, assimilating back into the society. Uh, so him and uh, both of them go after these criminals and uh, take them out, and then basically that's it. The movie is over. Um, there's an, there's a lot of interesting things. One scene I liked a lot was when William Devane finds out where these criminals are and realizes there's a whole bunch of them. So he goes over to Tommy Lee Jones's house and has this very awkward dinner with the, his like parents and uh, wife, and then he asks to speak to Tommy Lee Jones by himself. And he takes Tommy Lee Jones aside and he says, "I found them. I found the guys who did this. There's a whole bunch of them in this brothel in Mexico." And Tommy Lee Jones just pauses and says, "Let me get my gear." And he just immediately goes into his closet, gets a duffel bag, and starts packing it up with artillery. And it's such like a... uh, You can see the dichotomy between the previous awkward scene of them trying... 
Tommy Lee Jones with his family, and then this scene of him with uh, William Devane, this fellow soldier, and now he has purpose. You know, his life in this world is not for him. And, you know, uh, taking out some bad guys with some guns, that, that he can understand. I don't know if this movie is ahead of its time with the depiction of PTSD, but it definitely was um, one of the earliest ones I've seen that has dealt with it so seriously. It's a high-quality movie. I was expecting it to be very exploitation-y, and it is, but it is turns into something very, very interesting. The second half, less so because it is more focused on the mechanics of the revenge, but the first half where they're setting up the character um, is, is really great. So, highly recommended. Rolling Thunder, Tarantino did not steer me wrong. So, I was inspired by the writing in this movie. I thought it was very nuanced and interesting and had great characters, and it was written by one Paul Schrader, along with Haywood Gould. But I focused on Paul Schrader, and I looked at the next movie he wrote, uh, which was a movie called Blue Collar, which he also directed in 1978. This is the story of three blue-collar workers who worked in an auto factory in Michigan back in the 70s. And just kind of this, this world that they inhabit is uh, very much a world where it's, very, it's hard to, to get a foothold financially in society. And these guys are falling behind. Harvey Keitel, Richard Pryor, Yafit Kodo, they all come from different backgrounds. You know, Harvey Keitel is is, is like the, uh, you know, he's the he's the, the white you know American dream guy. You know, he's got a wife, he's got some kids, he lives in a house, and he's trying to pay all these bills and afford his kids his kids braces and all that stuff. Richard Pryor is the you know the the African American version of this character, um, trying to do the same things but having it much harder because of his color. And Yafik Kodo is a sort of like a a player, a former criminal who is um, sort of unskilled in his job, but he's called the utility man. He does he'll do anything at the plant that it needs doing, uh, where they just need a body, and that's that's um, his character. They're all beaten down in various ways. And they see this opportunity to rob the union, the union that has been holding them back and not helping them in the way they need help. I mean, Harvey Keitel is a union guy. He really believes in it, um, but he really needs money. And he kind of gets conv convinced by Yafit Kodo, who's a criminal who, kinda, who knows it can be done, and Richard Pryor, who basically, you know, he, he needs to do something to get ahead in society. Anyway, they do this robbery, and it turns out they don't get much money at all, and it's a very, it's actually a pretty funny set piece, this robbery. Um, but they do get a book of illegal loans that the union has been doing, and they try to use that 
to blackmail the union and that's the core of this movie it's the three guys versus the union versus kind of each other because the union and just the plant in general is just always trying to their force is greater than any of them and this movie has a very paranoid view of the world very pessimistic as i said earlier about paul schrader it's a movie that is really showing how almost impossible it is to catch a break against forces of this magnitude forces that are corrupt and faceless and impenetrable and it's it's sad to live in this world with these guys and feel their desperation and root for them even when you know that you know it's not going to go well and the movie does a great job at being very watchable you got three magnetic leads especially richard pryor who is talkative and in your face and just you know fun to watch and it is refreshingly funny at points the dialogue is great yeah fat kodo insulting his boss every time the guy talks to him is great um the robbery is very funny and you know it's just it just it really does a lot of things well it clips along and it's got the right mix of seriousness and philosophy and pessimism (laughs) along with some uh very charismatic and charismatic characters are enjoyable to watch it's a good one very very good this was four and a half stars i'm very happy to have seen it paul schrader is a guy that i'm enjoying more and more and uh i don't know what he's like in real life but his movies are interesting so far so i'm going to continue to watch movies that he wrote and directed and i'll let you know of course if i find anything else good so for next episode i have decided to watch on my own without any co-host because i swear never having a co-host again i'm going to watch the movie santa with muscles starring everyone's favorite wrestler hulk hogan i'm doing this because of you know it's a movie i always wanted to watch and it's christmas season got to continue my christmas season watching this movie is from 1996 wow later than i thought directed by john merlowski and uh yeah i'm not even going to the plot of santa with muscles it's got our hulk hogan dressed up as santa claus and i'm sure there will be a lot of fun surprises to talk about next episode as well as to see what inspires What about this movie inspires me to watch another one? So, thank you everybody for listening. My name has been Patrick. You can follow along with my movie watching on Letterboxd. I'm on there as Long Monkey. Check out my other projects at proleary.com. And until next time, have a good night and sweet dreams.